please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, we have heard this morning how when your people gathered to hear the word of God read and then the sense given that you touched their hearts so much that they wept and then they rejoiced, Lord. They were told that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Lord, we pray that as we hear the gospel expounded this morning, that you would again break our hearts where they need to be broken and grant us joy where we need joy. Lord, I pray as we all prayed together during the psalm this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Well, the preacher this morning uh, is uh, stranded in Louisville uh, behind much ice and snow. And so uh, I am, I'm the substitute preacher. Father Keith was going to bring this message. And as it was, you're probably going to get off light. You're probably going to get off pretty light. But uh, thanks be to God, you made it here this morning. You know, I found that when we gather on a Sundays like this, when there's uh, or, or any service where we we really, because of events outside our control, we we have a, a lower service, a lower uh, lower attendance. That many times those are the sweetest services. That the Holy Spirit just comes in a very powerful and a sweet way, and, and I think that's happening this morning as well. I'm so glad, though, that we get to gather around this passage that we heard in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stands in his, or actually sits to teach, because that was the, that was the posture of teaching in, uh, in Judaism uh, in that day and age. There was, uh, when someone would read the scriptures, they would stand to read, but then when it was time to teach from the scriptures, they would sit down. That was the posture of teaching. We actually preserve that practice in the Christian church. Sometimes you'll see this. Uh, when the bishop comes occasionally, uh, the bishop will actually preach seated in a chair. Usually our bishops stand at the pulpit, but sometimes they will seat, uh, be seated in a chair. Certainly when they do confirmations, when confirmations come up here in February, the bishop will be seated in the chair for part of that service because that's a symbol of the the sitting under the authority of the Word of God. And actually, for bishops, there's a special word for that chair. It's called a cathedra. And that's where we get the word cathedral for. So if wherever the bishop's chair is, there's the cathedral. So coming up here in uh, February, this is going to be Christ Church Cathedral. Looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. I love, though, that Jesus brings this message to us this morning from, from the book of Isaiah. He says, as after he reads that passage from what we would call Isaiah 61, he says that today this word is fulfilled in your hearing. And the word that is summed up in, in that preaching that Jesus does is this. Listen, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And the good news that God is pouring out favor uh, has, has a particular audience in this passage. Jesus says that this good news is for the poor, for the prisoners, for the blind, and for the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favor, particularly for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. Now, the folks in Nazareth, as they are hearing that proclaimed, they're probably feeling pretty good about the message at this point because many of them would have come, and they were, it was true, they thought of themselves as the poor. They were living a, a subsistence lifestyle, literally hand to mouth. What they made that day was what they had to live on, barely enough 
barely making it, subsistence, subsistence lifestyle. They all faced the reality of Roman oppression. They lived under the boot of the Roman Empire, and so they knew what it was like to be an oppressed people. And indeed, God's favor was being poured out. God's favor is poured out on those on the margins of society. Those in greatest need often will find that there is where God's favor is most poured out. Now, why is that? Why would God's favor be poured out upon those who are in greatest need? Well, God has chosen to pour out his favor on, the, on those who are broken among us for this reason. It is because that the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed have something in common. The poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed have something in common, and this is it. They are especially dependent on the Lord. And that's something I want us to take home with us this morning, is that dependence on God is actually a pathway to his favor and blessing. They do not live, those who know themselves to be poor, those who are prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, they do not live with the illusion of self-sufficiency. They know that they need God. They know that they need God. You know, right now, most of us in Western civilization, uh, living in the West in the 21st century, we have layers upon layers of institutions and the way things run and the way that our life is constructed that gives us the illusion that we are independent, that we can live independently from God. But listen, brothers and sisters, all of that can be taken away in an instant. And literally overnight, some of us are old enough to remember uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. I, I always was very formational in, in my growing up. I remember that the, the Soviet Union was this big, bad empire for so long. I mean, we were all terrified as kids. You know, when are the, when are the Russians going to do something crazy? Is there going to be a nuclear war or something like that? And then overnight, their entire society unraveled. Overnight. It evaporated as a major player on the world stage. It's not limited to the Soviet, former Soviet Union. It can happen here. It can happen in this society. And yet we live with this illusion that things will always continue as they will. Now, for some of us, we know that that happens on a very personal level. Anytime you ever hear, uh, you get that diagnosis that you don't want to get, particularly, and it's uh, something I'm, I'm very aware of, it's happened a lot among friends and relatives here recently, is that that cancer diagnosis and you all of a sudden you realize that you are not independent that you are not in control of your own fate it could be so many things but it is an illusion and those who are at the very margins of society do not have the luxury of living with that illusion one of the ways that we come to recognize that we're dependent upon God is when we realize that we have that we've got something in our life that we can't control, that finally we stop living in denial, and that whatever habit or hang-up, I can't remember, how does it all go? I can't remember how habits, hang-ups, uh, hurts, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, thank you. That, that, I love this audience participation. Uh, the, but we recognize that we have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that control our lives, and at some point we come to the realization that they are destroying our lives, and we are not in control, the illusion is gone, and we realize our dependence on God. Recognizing our dependence on God is a gateway to God's favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's 
favor. They know they need God. God delights in those and protects those who live in dependence upon upon him because dependence drives us to the reality of our need for a relationship with God. When we have the illusion of independence removed, we realize that only that relationship with God makes life worth living. When we are broken enough to recognize our utter dependence on God, something wonderful happens in our lives and we experience God's favor. I remember I was listening to a radio broadcast. This has got to have been years ago because it was when, that, when we had that really bad earthquake in Haiti and so many people lost their lives and certainly so many people lost everything they had as far as uh, their possessions. Those houses just went like, you know, just flattened immediately. Many people lost everything. And I remember it was, I think it was NPR, but I remember uh, on that broadcast that at the end of the segment, uh, the, the sound that we were left with was an old woman surrounded by the rubble of her home, sitting on a, like a crate, surrounded by the rubble of her home, and she was singing Alleluia, Alleluia, over and over again. She had lost everything, and all she had was God. And in that moment, she didn't cry out against and rail against God. She sang to God, Alleluia, Alleluia. We experience God's favor in that moment. I want you to notice something here also. Jesus cuts off his reading. He's reading from Isaiah 61. He actually is at verse 2, and he reads half of that verse. He doesn't read the whole verse, Isaiah 61, verse 2. He reads, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and that's where he stops. But that's not where that passage stops. Listen to what it actually says. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance... Of, of our God and the day of vengeance of our God. The year of God's favor was for all people. This was a year of God's favor and not a, not a vengeance against pagan Gentiles like me. That Jesus is saying, you are in the year of God's favor. Judgment is coming, but this is the year of God's favor. And I am not bringing about the judgment against the pagan Gentiles at this point. I'm opening the floodgates of God's favor. <clears throat> we are still in the year of God's favor. The good news is still for all people. The door has not been shut. And you and I are sitting here this morning because you and I are the fruit of the year of God's favor. All y'all Gentiles. <laughs> Now, how does Jesus go about fulfilling this passage that we just heard him read? Today, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. What is the good news that he preaches to the poor? It's this. It is that God's kingdom is breaking in. He's, what he's saying is like, all right, y'all in Nazareth. You didn't think it would have happened to start here, but it's starting here in Nazareth of Galilee, sitting in your local synagogue. My presence here is I am announcing that in me, Jesus is announcing, says in me, the kingdom of God is breaking in in this very moment right now. Everything you have longed for is happening right now. Now, because I am here. And immediately after this passage, though, uh, the hometown, uh, the crowd turns against him. They take him to the brow of the hill to throw him off the hill. Uh, that was not going to end well, but he makes he, <laughs> he, he gets away. That first preaching uh, 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 adventure in Nazareth did not go well, but he makes it back through the crowd. And then he goes down to Capernaum, 
which is going to be his base of, base of operations for a while in Galilee. And in Capernaum, what does he do? He casts out a demon. And then he heals a woman who is sick with a fever. And then he continues to heal and deliver. And listen to what it says. This is also in chapter 4. We didn't read this far. It says, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hand, excuse me, his hand on each one, he healed them. Moreover, moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must go preach the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Listen. This is the good news. The good news is that God's kingdom has begun. There is a new order of reality breaking in. There's a new order of reality in Jesus Christ breaking in. Jesus is breaking Satan's power. His uncontested, unrestrained domination of humanity ended that day. No more would that be allowed. The powers and influences that destroy human life and separate us from God were being overturned in the person of Jesus Christ. The good news is that God's kingdom is breaking. Now, some of you who have been here a long, long time are know exactly what I'm going to say right now. But here's what God's kingdom is. God's real reality. The kingdom of God is God's real reality. Most of us, uh, because we are brainwashed... Through the dribs and drabs of this day-to-day life, through the conversations we have, what we see in our families, what we hear in the various forms of media, the attitudes and actions of co-workers, just the society that we live in, we think that that's the real world. Now, this is exactly what you think. And I know that because whenever, if you've ever been to, like we have a really amazing church service, and the Holy Spirit comes in great power, And lives are being transformed and people are being healed and maybe spiritual gifts are being poured out in a way they've never been poured out before. And the presence, the very presence of God is so magnificent and wonderful that there feels like a weight is weighting you down and you just are feeling weighted down by God's glory and worship. Or maybe it's happened to you in a prayer closet or maybe it's happened to you on a retreat that you've had that experience. And then after that's over, you go to the door and you say, well, it's time to go back to the real world. That is wrong. You are not going back to the real world. You've been in the real world. Now you're going back to a world that is constructed on falsehood where you have to take the real reality of God with you when you go because that's a construct, that's a fabrication, it's a fiction of lies that we have constructed a world in rebellion against God. That is not the real world. And that world is passing away and a new world is breaking in. God's real reality, the kingdom of God, is breaking in through the teaching, death, and resurrection, and person of Jesus Christ. That is the real world. So that when we come to the Lord's table this morning and we hear, this is my body, this is my blood, he's truly present to us under the signs of bread and wine. At that moment, the real world shows up right there. That's the real world. This is the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It is the world as God intended it to be. 
It is where God's rule and reign are welcomed and experienced. That's the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is bringing about. And wherever he showed up, the kingdom of God showed up. We enter into this kingdom through conversion, by accepting and following Jesus Christ. And then we have our minds shaped by the narrative of the Word of God. Because what did I say? We've got this, this construct of lies telling us that that's the real world and that how do we contradict that? How do we overcome that? How do we have our, our minds transformed? How does that happen? It happens by being immersed in a counter-narrative, a story, the true story. Oh, oh, by the way, I don't know, have you ever read, a, read fiction and it was just, uh, I don't know what it might be for you. I could name some books I'm not going to, but have you ever read a book where uh, at some point it just makes you long for it? Yes, that's the way it should be. And you just, you're like, oh, I wish it could be that way. The reason that that book is speaking to you like that, generally speaking, is because somehow it is ringing with the resonance of the true story. And we find that true story most clearly revealed to us in the Scripture. That's the real world. And so by being immersed in God's Word, by reading, learning, marking, and inwardly digesting God's Word... That, so that it fills our hearts and it fills our minds, then at some point that word becomes greater and more defining than the falsehood of the narrative of the world. But let me tell you what, it will not happen if all of God's word you ever get happens on Sunday morning. If this is all the God, of God's word you ever are partaking of is what we're doing, what we're doing right now, you will not have your mind transformed. You will not have your heart transformed. You will not have that counter-narrative of God's kingdom take root in your life. Will Willman says, The Bible doesn't necessarily want to simply address the modern world. It wants to create a whole new world that cannot be seen without conversion. Here's the thing, is that, uh, and I know, I, I mean, more and more as we live in this secularizing age that we are in, uh, I am uh, hearing more and more from people about how irrelevant Scripture seems to their experience. And I actually, I think I, I, think I fight against that in my own spiritual life. Sometimes the, the noise of the world, the potentiometers get cranked way up. There you go, all you people who know about potentiometers. So uh, they get cranked way up. The volume gets turned way up so that I'm not hearing the truth of God's Word. Listen to what I'm about to say. It's not the scriptures are not relevant. It's that we have too deeply bought into the narratives of this world. And it comes to us under so many guises. The, here's how, you want to know how the scripture becomes relative, relevant to you again? Is by reading more of it. Spending more time in it. Praying God's word back to him. Immersing yourself in God's word so that somehow, and sometimes that's going to mean that I'm not going to listen to the other narratives that are out there. And maybe we shouldn't. There's a lot of things that are competing for our attention. We're not trying to make the scripture rele relevant. God makes us relevant to his word as we read it. So far from being something boring or irrelevant, the good news of the kingdom is powerful and exciting because it means that we can experience a God-filled, supernaturally empowered existence 
here and now. How do I know we can experience here and now? Because Jesus Christ didn't come into a fairy tale land where it says once upon a time, long time ago, he came into this world that we live in right now. He came into this reality and he altered that reality and he's still doing it today because he is risen and alive today. That supernaturally empowered existence is available to his church, through his church, in the power of the Holy Spirit right now. So this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to give you this invitation. Some of us experience imprisonment in our lives. We are slaves to sins or habits or hurts. And these things, I, um, I was talking to somebody very recently, and they have a friend. And this friend uh, lost a child to suicide. And that, that hurt that that person has experienced, and it's a terrible, there's nothing like that pain. I can't imagine going through that pain. But now that person is, is defined by that loss in such a way that it is destroying their life. Their life is empty now. Their life is meaningless now. And they can't get free. They're a slave. They're in slavery, shackled to a wound. Some of us are shackled to habits that are destroying our lives, destroying our relationships. And we're becoming more and more aware, and we are becoming aware of two things. Number one, I can't, I can't get over this on my own. I can't make it on my own. And number two, every day I can't make it with, on my own. You see what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, I came to that realization. Oh, okay, I'm going to go on with the rest of my life now. I'm fixed. No, today you will not make it on your own. And for the rest of your ever-loving life, you will not make it on, on your own. And when you're in the kingdom, you're still not going to be making it on your own because you'll finally be living full of Jesus all the time. We need Jesus to come and set us free again today. Come to this table. Meet him here. Let him let you go. Come to this table. Feed on his flesh and drink his blood. You can't get more intimate or personal than that. If you say, oh, if Jesus would just show up in my synagogue, he's going to show up in your synagogue. Well, it's not like I expected. If you think that the folks in Nazareth were expecting it, they wouldn't want to throw him off the hill. He didn't come like they expected it either. Some of us need to be released from the oppression of an emotional hurt. Some of us need to come and be released from physical ailments. That can happen here as well. We live right now in the time between the times. In this time between the inbreaking of God's kingdom, which, we, which began when God came among us in the person of Jesus Christ, and that time in the future which will be fulfilled at the end of the age when Jesus comes again in great glory and his kingdom is fully realized and there is a new heaven and a new earth. But we are living in the between times. That, here's what that means. It doesn't mean that the kingdom is not a reality. It's just that there are two realities overlapping right now, but we still live in a kingdom reality. God's healing is already beginning in this life. It will be fully realized at the resurrection of the dead. We will know his full and complete healing then. I can't wait for that. I cannot wait. 
And the older I get, there's more I need to be healed from. But the kingdom has begun. Jesus is working right now to release the prisoners and to open the eyes of the blind. Oh, listen. This is the thing that, I, uh, that I'm most concerned about when I read this passage. And I think about, the thing that jumps out for me is the blind. Because your lack of self-awareness is very obvious to me. <laughs> but my lack of self-awareness seems to be somehow intangible. And I'm not really grasping it. And so I know that I am, here's the thing is, I am blind to things in my life. And what's more, I want to be blind to some of those things. Jesus is opening the eyes of the blind at this table. And maybe you need to pray, Lord Jesus, open my blind eyes and show me who I really am and show me who I really can be in you. Do not let me go another day in self-delusion. Do not let me spend any more energy on maintaining a lie that I alone believe. Jesus is opening the eyes of the blind. Jesus is delivering the oppressed. I know he is because he said, this is the day of God's favor. It is still the day of God's favor. Won't you come and meet him at his table? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.